hello and welcome to everybody to the Game on Sunday podcast. Can I just say first, thanks to all those people who've listened in the last couple of weeks, particularly our last podcast with Richie Holden, where we had a good number of thousand uh, listeners, which was fantastic. Um, I'm flying solo today. I'm on my own. Pat is away and uh, Michael is uh, just away as well. So speaking of Richie Hogan and GA Legends, I'm delighted to welcome one of the, probably the true greats of football. What certainly that I have admired over the last number of years. Uh, Dublin superstar, Philly McMahon. Philly, how are you? Hey, was. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, all good. Yeah. All good. Um, I believe you're kind of, uh, you've had a busy couple of days uh, moving house. Is that correct? Yeah. You're, uh, are you a good handy, are you a good handy man? <laughs> yeah. No, definitely not. The lip yeah. takes, that's about it. Yeah, so you're not putting up shelves or paying your curtains or anything like that. It just is. You're putting up lines or anything else. No, we were like, I mean, I suppose, you know, we, we obviously, we had the, we were on the ladder, we had a first home and, um, you know, we were, we were kind of like, you know, ah, sure, look, we've been through this and we'll be all right. And everybody was telling us, yeah, it's very stressful now. Just keep an eye on it. <laughs> God, you just don't need what how hard it is. So, yeah, look, we're dinner and then we're in the house now. So, um, easier to run out at the crop Park, yeah. No, it's more stressful than any of that. <laughs> you could go and walk back playing with the drums just to get away with moving, moving the stuff in and out. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Tell me, uh, just before we get into the the, the football side of things, uh, if, if I could ask you, I mean, you're obviously busy very often, Dean, like since you stopped playing at this stage. I mean, I've, re- I've been reading a lot about you, listening to a lot of um, various podcasts and shows that you've been on as well. You, you're, you, you have some busy lifestyle at the moment. Yeah, well, to most people, it's busy. <laughs> uh, to me, it's kind of it's just it's it's just who I am. I'm, I'm that type of person. I probably got those values from my parents. They were very um, work hardworking um, people. You know, working class people. So my mom used to have two or three jobs. My dad would be working as well. You know, so that's yeah. that's where I get it from. And uh, I have a couple of businesses uh, at the minute, and I've um, I'm doing some social work around the purpose of developing life and stuff like that. So, yeah, like to most people, it'd be very busy, but to me, it's normal now, you know? Yeah, and is life is good for you these days? Yeah, since you miss football, you miss it? Oh, yeah, you do, yeah. Um, at stages, you miss it more, and some stages, you don't miss it at all. Like, you know, the next couple of months in the winter, you wouldn't miss football at all, you know, with yeah, the, the yeah, slog yeah, and the yeah. weather change. Um, but when the ball bounces on the ground and, and the hard ground in the summer and, you know, you go into Crow Park and you, you go to the big games and you see, you know, the joy and the energy uh, you get from the other side of it and sitting in the stands, you, you get that buzz to go, geez, I'd love to be back on the pitch again. But look, as as the cliche is, uh, time waits for nobody and I had my stint and I was very lucky to be a part of a special group and, um, Support by the the brilliant people of the GA and and the Dublin County Board and everybody else, and uh, it's now the it's now time to support the lads that are there now. Yeah, and and I kind of you've listened. I listened to a lot of maybe we say the professionals in terms of the rugby or the soccer guys, and when they finish their career, you're you're on such a high 
is is there a is, is there a come down? Is there how do you cope with that? I, I had you that kind of experience, or we are just happy enough. Time was up, time to go. Um, the age factor, what you were able to cope with because you had so many other things going on in your life. Yeah, I, I, I suppose um, the group that I went on the journey with a lot of them retired. Uh, you know, they, they, like I, I was nineteen when I got the Dublin team in two thousand and eight, and um, I done like fourteen years from then to the when I retired. So, a lot of my teammates that I went on that run with, uh, successful run with, they had retired. So, I kind of had one eye on what they were doing, what they were experiencing, and I suppose when I started coming to the end of my journey, I started to kind of think, "All oh, right, okay, you need to start." you know, building things in for this voyage because it's going to be important, starting off with my family and I'm still not really, I don't think I'll ever be perfect that spending time with, with my loved ones and relationships yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. So <laughs> my, you know, we, all need a, we all need a bit of space yeah. at times. Yeah. yeah. So I programmed the same <laughs> way, we all are. But So yeah, I had one eye on retirement and I suppose I probably was going to retire the year before I did and then uh, spoke to the management team and they said, look, we'd love you to come back in for the year and because um, I was still getting good game time at that stage yeah and then last year I got a lot lot less time I actually played I didn't play one one minute in a championship game apart from the all Ireland semi-final I, I played I came on the last three minutes and played the whole lot of extra times so I nearly got 30 odd minutes <clears throat> but I'd never touched the ball like on the championship I never got any championship minutes bar that game which is incredible like you know so that was the kind of the that was the only side of the cake for me to, to kind of go right, okay the writing's on the wall a little bit here you're not getting much game time so it's time to pass it on to somebody else you know yeah um, can I just maybe can I just take it back to the very start right yeah, growing up in Dublin and look uh, I've read a lot about um, uh, Barry Mon and your, yeah. your your starting old career um, was it football all the time in terms of like I'm an art side man here in Cork right I grew up yeah. an art side I remember my days starting out in terms of putting down the jumpers as the goalposts on either side, playing in a quarry, stones sticking out of the ground. But yeah. it was it was a ser- serious learning experience in terms of you get home from school, a match day every night, playing the opposition, playing the guys up the street or playing the guys around the corner or down in a different location. W- was that kind of start of all for you and Ballymun or how did it start yeah. in terms of? Yeah. Ballymun was special because we had the flats, you know, so... Uh, Literally, you know, you're talking about playing matches in a quarry. You, you know, we actually played matches lateral. So because the entrance to the flats, they were goals. And so we'd play lateral, uh, which is incredible. And we'd have to play around cars. Um, but we it was incredible because we had a big massive green out the back. And we'd actually football pitches out the back of the flats, but we never really, for some reason, we never really played on them. It was much better to play on the, uh, in the flats. I, I think it came down to, you know, when you're a kid and the ball, you don't really want to play the ball on the ground. You want the ball bounce. You want to be volleying it. And you want to be volleying it, exactly. And yeah. Yeah. On the yeah, concrete, yeah. That's what that gave us, you know. So um, the flats are great like that. But again, look, I didn't need any friends. I had loads of friends that I played football with, but they were from the flats with me, but I didn't have to call for them to go and practice. I was just the ball off the flats. So a lot of clubs, GA clubs you see now have wall balls for hurling, mogey and, and football. We had that abundance. We'd flats everywhere to kick the ball off. So and we we we'd actually um sometimes go to the tower blocks and see how we would kick the ball. That that'd be kind of 
the, the key things that you took for granted back then, but but realizing, geez, my kick could have developed just from that, you know. So I started playing soccer at a very young age. Um, I was like seven or eight. I started playing soccer, and then that evolved playing, you know, mini leagues in school and the Holy Spirit went to primary school and that uh, Paddy Christie came recruiting for players. And that's where that's where it all began for me, you know, playing for Bayern Kickums from the age of ten to twelve, and Paddy managed me all the way up to under twenty ones. My God, that's um, that's that's a quick economic story, and you know that those times. I mean, I, I mean, you speak about maybe like was Bayern taken out of context in terms of the badness as against the positivity. I mean, your story is, is just incredible, and um, is it at all that? people made out to be I mean you 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 have massive memories of it and you kind of I read there recently where you were saying geez you nearly like to go back there to live even in the morning because you had such a, a good a good uh living there and it wasn't obviously perfect at all at the times but was it taken out of context a little bit by by people outside that didn't know really what was happening inside well, like uh, to be honest, there was kind of merit to the to negativity of the area. You know, um, a lot of the stuff that was happening wasn't made up. Uh, there was with drugs, drugs and crime. Um, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing to us is that <clears throat> you know when Ballymun was developed, it was a beautiful complex. It was developed because the overcrowded tenements in the inner city, very similar to the issue that we have today with the homelessness and the housing crisis that we have. That was happening back then, and they developed Ballymun, this big massive complex that was kind of, it was replicated off a complex in Germany. They brought here, it was beautiful. Your yeah, family had to meet a certain criteria. For example, they'd have to have one person employed to be able to be, to be able to uh, live in Ballymun, and they had other things as well. But in 1985, um, there was a big change in Ballymun. One of the biggest changes that ghettoized the community was the surrender grant. And in 1985, basically, they, they developed a surrender grant which gave you £5,000 to buy a home outside of Ballymore. So what happened then was um, people that were working, their families could afford to buy their own homes, took that took that opportunity and they bought their homes in local communities like, let's say, Kilbrook, uh, Finglas, Kilbarrick, Talla, you know, Darndale, all around, the areas all around Ballymore. And essentially then what was left in Ballymore was people that were probably couldn't afford to do that. So people that were, you know, single parents, people that were struggling in poverty. And at that time, there was mental health institutes shutting down and, and that was one of the reasons why they created this. So a lot of people that were struggling with their mental health that were in uh, institutes were actually accommodating the Ballymore. So essentially what happened then was that it became a very lucrative area because you'd got a lot of people that were struggling with poverty struggling with trauma, struggling with their mental health. And you could say a huge percentage of those people started to self-medicate in many ways. People obviously ex- experimented with drugs at that time. It was the rave scene. Um, but, but you know, a lot of the crimes and a lot of the negativity and perception that, this, that the, the outside world of Ballymore would have developed came from that, but wouldn't really understand why it was ghettoized so badly. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's amazing, an amazing story. Um, and like out of all of this, your Paddy Christie and he picking you up and kind of taking tutoring you and taking you to training. And um, what was your first call for Dublin? Can you um, recall that? At senior or at, 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 even at, at senior level? Yeah, just say at senior level. Yeah, 
Yeah, so so um, 2008 was my first year. So I'd been playing Dublin under 21s. Uh, the first year I played under 21s, I played every cha- every every challenge game up to the championship game. And the manager then was we were playing Eid in the in the first uh, round under 21s. And the manager came over to me in the training session before and said to me, you know, I, I thought he was coming over to say to me, look, you're going to be playing this way, or you're going to be, you know, I want you to do this, or worst case scenario, you're probably going to be on the bench. And he came over to me and said, look, you're not in the squad. And I was devastated. I was like, you played me every minute up to this game. Like, I was playing wing forward for the first year on my 21s. And I'll never forget it. And and I, I, the one regret I had was I didn't really challenge him enough. And I just, I just went on with it. Now we got beaten. The following year, you know, it had a huge impact in my development because the following year, was 2008 when I got me first uh, I was the captain Jim Gavin's first year as the manager of Dublin under 21s so he made me his captain and then I got play then I obviously it was only myself and David Connolly that were actually playing for both the the, the, the Dublin senior team and the 21s so that was that was the first year so Pillar Caffrey was the manager manager at the time yeah Pillar yeah completely different uh, level of standards I had you know from being a 19 year old going in and, and just like I mean for example I would have went in with me batting with kicking scare in my fourth session and the defensive coach who I'm very fond of who, who made a massive difference in my development at the start of my career a fellow called Ski Wade um, he came over to me and he said to me well, don't ever wear that gear up here again <laughs> same thing what you say to him yeah no problems Kay. give me Dublin gear and I'll wear it yeah <laughs> and uh, he kind of smirked at me a little bit but uh, I really liked what he was about I liked what kind of he wanted in his defenders you know um, but even like they were asking me even though I wasn't playing in a particular game they were like right okay after each game everybody has to study the video I wanted to write a report and send it in to us and uh, we'll have a look at it. And I remember just jotting it down on a one page, writing it by hand. And I think I was sitting beside Paul Casey, uh, who was a guy that would be, you know, well respected uh, in terms of the attention to detail he went. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. He get to the levels I did and he was just an incredible leader. And uh, I remember sitting beside Paul and I remember looking at his page all typed out. <laughs> I think he was studying in DCU at the. It was like a, it was like an essay, like a thesis. And done. I'm looking at a bit, a, a bit like a bit like Pat Spillane on the Sunday game. I can tell you that today. Like one believe I was just like, oh my god! So I, I had the ski, and he says, "Ah, you need to do that again." I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, the levels were unbelievable. Uh, there was such a high standard, and you know some of the stuff that we done back then culturally people were kind of like do we need to be doing this and and now it's a norm for every county to do it like yeah that was back in 2008 really yeah 2008 so I don't know if other counties are doing that at that time I couldn't see it no I couldn't see it I must say and do you think you were ahead of the potsy at that stage in terms of where your your background size and your your big this this uh, this kind of detailed uh, analysis and you know as well as obviously performing on the field to play was that yeah. one of the strengths yeah. of Dublin? Well it definitely advanced I, I, I can only say that that group that we played originally in 2008 um, they had been on the road a long time and they'd had a lot of psychological scarring from Kerry and Tyrone and other teams 
those two in particular. And um, I suppose there was a lot of talk around the ego possibly of what we were doing in terms of, you know, there was certain rituals that our teams got energy from. For example, walking to the hill, pulling each other's jerseys. That was, you know, I remember, I think it was Conor Gormley, he spoke about that, how much energy they got from that. And, and I think after that, we stopped a little bit, stopped doing that a little bit. A lot of the ritual stuff we had were probably more in-house. We contained their energy in-house rather let them go out. You know, but a lot of the pain and suffering they went through made a massive difference to the people of Dublin GAA because that ultimately made people dig a little bit deeper, get really stuck into the grassroots from the county board point of view and the clubs and what came from that was incredible, you know? Yeah, and if I, if I actually to describe what it was like winning your first start Ireland, I know you've, you've won a good lot of them, but tell me about your, your, first, your first one. What was it like for you and your family, all those people back in Ballymont? Well, like it's the, the best way of explaining it is the way Mick McCauley explained that after getting an interview, uh, after the match getting an interview, he said, he just couldn't stop saying it's unbelievable. It's unbelievably unbelievable, he kept saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's hard to put into words, um, but on t- uh, straight after, but in time, you start, to, you start to understand the effect it had because it, first of all, it opened the door. Again, belief to the to the group that were there that they could win more than one uh, had a huge impact. Um, you know, definitely had a huge impact of the people in Ballymore because Ballymore never had an All Ireland. Yes, yes, yeah, I'm re- incredible. Yeah, incredible. Because yeah, Ballymore had Ballymore Kickhams is two parishes together. It's Ballymore and it's Glass Nevin. Yeah, um, and we'd had people playing from Dublin from Ballymore, like of Ian Robertson. Uh, Davy Bourne who played in goal but a lot of them were from Glasnevin which is like Paddy De Christie, Dermot DC, Jerry Hard and there was loads to, to name you know Barney Rock there's John McCarthy there was loads but from Ballymoon it was the I was the first one to win an All-Ireland which was a great privilege for me you know to say you know from Ballymoon now I, and then you know I suppose your family are so proud of you and, you know you're, you know it's great to go and see the coaches you've had from an underage and say look thanks very much for all you've done and you know you have a part to play in that medal like you know so it's inc- it is still today incredible it's it's still nice to have like when we get when I go around the country and I do talks and stuff like that and we, we talk about what's good about Ballymun what's probably the perception negatively about Ballymun the good thing is that a lot of people can say look they've got all Ireland winners you know they're probably the most represented all-star club I think in the country I think I think we've the most all-stars it's it's a, a that's an, an incredible success story and then you, you know you mentioned Pillar Caffrey Pat Gilroy there as manager and obviously Jim Gavin coming along and stuff like that as well describe yeah. Pat Gilroy and you know what what he what he brought to the table as well because when I look at him and I see his involvement uh, kind of this year and see him down the sideline maybe down by the half forward line obviously he had something special to bring to the table as well. Yeah, definitely. Like you'll hear a lot of people talk about his involvement this year and, and how that helped. How it possibly if he wasn't there, they possibly wouldn't have won an all Ireland this year. You know, that's how strong people speak about him. Um, but when Pat went in, I suppose he must. I mean, he had to look at obviously, you know, where the vulnerability of the group was. You know. Where really the kind of the, the as I said the psychological scarring of the group was, and he brought a lot of lads in that were 
that didn't have any of that and you probably had to change the the, the culture of the group and the dynamics of the group because um, there was guys there a very long time and and it would probably have been hard for younger lads to come in and be themselves or, or be be a different part of the group if there was the same people and the same faces kind of leading the, the change room you know so that's changed the dynamics culturally definitely he has a, he has a he's a very successful businessman so bringing the business culture aspect to it was was a key part that I would always recognise that had a massive difference to us. He also then, you know, wanted to challenge us psychologically, like, you know, were we actually tough? Were we mentally tough? Or were, did we have a soft underbelly? And, and, you know, from what you probably would have heard of, like, you know, doing the 6am training sessions and then training that evening. Yeah, yeah, incredible. You know, we, we used to do training camps and, you know, training camps everybody thinks is nice and fluffy and everything else but for us a training camp was train sleep train sleep train sleep it was incredible like we'd go away train that morning go to bed in the afternoon train and train later on that day and then we we'd, we'd you know that's all we'd really do is, is sleep and train and that you know thankfully that changed a little bit as we got a bit tougher all our time we started winning things Jim Gavin didn't have to do those type of things but that's that foundation was was crucial and it was a part of Pat and his management team doing that. Yeah and it sets a standard I say in terms of anybody else coming into the team or into the panel and what's expected and the level that you have to be to get in there um, I always remember uh, uh, there was a coach of mine uh, playing Hurling and he, he managed the, the Cork football team in 73 with the All-Ireland Tony O'Donovan when the All Blacks used to come to Cork for training and stuff like that or they'd come to town he'd go and watch them because they had they had a kind of a system and uh, you couldn't join the on Blacks panel unless you were at a certain level of fitness mindset and stuff like that. That kind of reminds me a bit like yourselves. You you had to be at a certain standard or and uh, before you got in there. So when we trained collectively, as you mentioned there, and the team training and the bonding and all that, you, you brought yourselves to another level above everybody else. Yeah, well, like we. So if I could break it down as simple as possible, I suppose. You know, if you just look at the since we won our first dollar in two thousand and eleven, you, you you could essentially say that, like, you know, I suppose the first part of it was was making sure that we could win it. Um, the second part then was creating a separation so we could win more and continue to win more, and that's probably why people struggle to continuously or consecutively win. You know, whatever sport they're in. It's it's a it's a really hard thing to retain a title or a championship or whatever it may be, and I suppose we always had the paranoia around trying to get better at every element we could. Like for example, you spoke about you know um, looking at other sports like the All Blacks. We went out to after twenty ten after getting beaten by your crowd Cork. <laughs> you went over, I like that your crowd. Yeah, <laughs> we went over to. Uh, <laughs> We went over to England and we went to McLaren and, um, you know, a lot of us would have went, what's going on? Like, you know, what's, yeah. what's the, what's the, um, what's the kind of objective of this? Like, you know, but we got into it and it was an incredible experience. You know, we, we thought we were going to do like a car garage, but it was like a hotel, spotless. There was no oil on the ground. It was just, everything was like done so well. Cars being lifted up and down through these big massive lifts. The gyms, the, the gym programming was incredible. Like so, Lewis Hampton was actually racing with them at the time, 
and they were showing us like some of the machines he used like and they had this with some of us got in the machine to use and to show us the g-force and the and the neck muscles that you need to use but what was incredible was in 2010 we were a couple of points up and we were potentially going to be in an all-around final and Cork like I remember I always tell the story I remember looking about the screen and going Jesus I'm going to be in all-around final I can't believe this and about three to four minutes later we were knocked out yep and that's what the Cork boys do to you yeah that's what the Cork boys do to you yeah yeah (laughs) so we took our eyes off the ball we were more uh, outcome based instead of process driven like you know um, but that was the kind of the first learning of you know focusing on your performance elements and not not focusing on the outcome. But the key thing for McLaren was we watched back that game and we realised within those few minutes we actually stopped hydrating ourselves, which is an incredible thing. These are the like mini kind of micro management type things, but make a massive difference. So the Cork boys were getting water thrown into them throughout the whole game. And in, in, the, in the matter of five or ten minutes, we hadn't took on any hydration. Now, we're at the melting pot of this game, all in semi-final, and none of us are staying hydrated. And Lewis Hamilton had a straw. It's like a straw that drips into his mouth in his helmet. But just drips water to keep him hydrated for the whole duration of the race. So we started, from that day, we started, we started getting water, small water bottles thrown in with us every few minutes. But people think about that as a hydration thing, but that's a psychological thing because when you get the water bottle thrown into you, if it's a trigger to go refocus. Don't think of the outcome of the game. Focus on what your next get, what your next job is. Focus on the next play. Focus on your next tackle, wherever it may be. So a little thing like looking outside your sport is incredible because you can, if you really see opportunity, it'll make a, a huge difference for you. Billy, you're my, you're my head racing now after that McLaren <laughs> talk and uh, Lewis Hamilton and the little the little uh, holes at the side of the helmet and the water coming in. Did you yeah. ever think? Did you ever think maybe we could put one of those into an Arling helmet? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I remember having a chat with a particular manager. I won't I won't say which one. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about you know changing systems during the game, and yeah. I said. You know, what about, you know, cha- having something on the sideline that, that's a certain colour? And that everybody looked over, you changed the system. And I couldn't believe to see South Africa doing it, doing something similar to it. Did you see what they've been doing in the World Cup where they look up to the to the box and they have a they have a light in the box? Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't be, yeah. I'll just fascinating. fascinating. Have a look at it. They have, like, if they were going to, I think as if they were going to, like, for a conversion or they want to kick to the touch that there's a light they look up into the manager's box and they have a light and the light will determine what, what op- option they're going to take like incredible, I'm, incredible. I'm sure there'd be a lot of water carriers out there saying look you have a, your water inside your helmet don't be that many more exactly anymore yeah absolutely yeah brilliant can I just touch on we say five and six in a row and Jim Gavin as well I mean yeah. what a man what a man yeah, Jim. Jim's an incredible manager. Uh, for me, you know, it's probably the manager that I had my most successful stint with. Yes. Uh, so Jim, again, you know, as I said, he would have been my under twenty one manager, made me captain, and and uh, you know, kind of attention to the detail is incredible. His consistency, um, 
you know how just how he done things it's very hard to explain it really is and and also his management team I have to always give them uh, recognition yeah. they do Declan Darcy Jason Sherlock there was a couple of others there along the way as well uh, McDegan and stuff so you know Jim that starts with there having trustworthy people around them that you know will be you know have blue blood running through them let's say Paul Clark another one does, does a good few there like you know so yeah um but if if I ask you, Philly, like just to kind of uh, look at look for me looking in from the outside and everybody looking in, like you look at you look at um, Jim Gavin, you'd say maybe like John Wayne, the quiet man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can, can you describe describe him to me? I mean, you were the guy in the dressing room. You know him so well. He had so much success together. There was a bond there. Describe Jim Gavin. To well, he the Jim Gavin that you see you know in interviews and in the media is the Jim Gavin you see in the change room like you know and the Jim Gavin that you know I was very lucky in that Jim Gavin stepped down five days away it's five days before my my wedding and I tell you why I was lucky uh, Jim Gavin I remember at probably one o'clock in the morning looking across I was sitting down having a bacon sandwich with everybody at the end of the night and I'm looking across and I see Jim Gavin chatting to two two lads, two club players, uh, two mates of mine and and he's having the crack and he's up dancing and I'm just like, this is this this is incredible. Like this this if Jim Gavin was the double manager now, he wouldn't be doing any of this. Jim Gavin sacrificed himself. That's the best thing I can say about Jim Gavin. He sacrificed not not that he wasn't himself, that's probably the wrong thing to say. He, he was different when he became the Dublin manager. He had to be different. He had to play a certain role where he was this person. And and that person protected the whole collective and what he was trying to do in terms of a purpose with the group, you know. So the Jim Gavin you see nowadays is a lot more, you, you know, you can see he's a bit, he's a little bit more kind of a different energy about him, if, if the right word is of using, like, you know. So, I think when you have to go into a job and be someone something different to get the best possible outcome towards a purpose, I think it's an ultimate sacrifice, you know. And um, you know, it, I don't mean like he's totally different person to what he was. I don't mean that, but there is a difference, definitely. You know, um, but he was an incredible person. Uh, looked at a lot of things outside of the sport. Uh, you know, for people, for 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 players. Uh, always kind of be innovative always looked to bring something new every year um, but you knew who was, who was the boss and he didn't have to scream he just he just looked at you and you know you'd let him down you know because you'd went on this brilliant journey with him obviously a, a massive massive element in trust Could I, uh, can I just move in on this moment and sit and ask you maybe um, your toughest opponent I know you you, you mentioned that you played stacks it out of wing ball and yeah, I remember you're your corner back. You're your corner forward, right? And I'm come on, boy. I was yeah. a shit forward, so they pushed me back. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> you weren't scoring enough as a corner forward, and said, wow. no, go back. Yeah. And then when I went back there, I, I still thought I was a corner forward attacking up the pitch. Yeah. And, um, but toughest opponent, like, it's it's a very hard question to answer all the time because I give it a very. Yeah. An answer that people don't like. <laughs> I don't really. There's games, of course. There's games over that period of time where I, like everybody, got skinned or someone's done well on me. Um, but 
the Dublin lads for me were always the hardest opponents to mark because I could mark Bernard Brogan who like him Paddy Andrews Carmen Costello whatever it may be they'd they, they give them three you know three steps away from you and, and they're just going to kick the ball over the bar from any angle and then you'd have Owen O'Gar who like well, gee, once he gets that ball, he's going to ram by you like you've got. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's loads of different styles. You've got powerhouses like Conal Callan, Paddy Small. There's just so many, you know. Yeah, like, but you must have, you know, you must have come up against a Gary man or a Mead man or a Kildare guy or well, a man. Yeah. So many of them you did. So many of them you did. Yeah, but this, this is the thing. Like, if I, if I didn't do my homework on, the opposition players uh, and they they like if a player from wherever Mead or Kerry or Tyrone done really well on me it would be down to my preparation yes and that's how good a management team was that you know if I didn't if, if I was marking Colin Cooper and he kicked off his left side coming in from the right hand side and you know right in front of the day he received the ball all those things that would mean that would that would be me not doing the right preparation. So the the defensive coach like Declan Darcy would come to me and say, "You knew he's kicking off the left. Why did that not happen? Why did you not block that down? Why did you let him inside it?" So the players we marked, if we done a homework practically and theoretically right, they wouldn't be too hard to mark because yeah, the Dublin lads you couldn't do that much time at home gone. Brilliant answer. You're giving me. You're giving me my answer. Yeah, and if so, I just said to you, your best game, your in terms of your best game, um, your best game, your your best performance that you feel I I I I give the best seventy minutes or seventy six minutes of my life here in this game. Yeah, the, look, it, a lot of people kind of reference the the Kerry game in twenty fifteen when I marked Cooper, but that I, yeah, like in respect to him being one of the greats of the game. And I scored them like I mean I keep them scoreless, scoreless in an all Ireland final. That was an incredible game. But the best one for me was uh, twenty sixteen. I think it might have been twenty sixteen all Ireland semi final. I think it was or the final. That's that's how bad it, is. it must be that good if I can't remember. But I I marked uh, I was against Mayo. I marked Aidan O'Shea. I scored one two, and it was the day of my birthday. I think it was the replay as well. Yeah, the day of my birthday. I think for me. What happened was I was marking Aiden O'Shea. He was tipped to be player of the year. He'd ran him up in Connacht. And I, I was just rubbing my hands. I was like, lovely. All of this is perfect for me. I want, like, I was nearly going to Jim Gavin saying, will you please put me on this fella? And um, I'd marked him inside. We'd had a, you know, a tough battle. And in the first game, marked him in the second game. And uh, I suppose they made a mistake and they said, right, Aiden, go out the pitch. And I was like, lovely. I'm going out with you here and I'm going to, Hack every chance I got, and I got one two. So I've never scored from corner back. I've never scored one two in my life. So that would be, and I, I kept him scoreless that day as well. So not not just because of my offensive display, it was my defensive display was good as well. So that was me. That was the best game I think I had. In anyway, for me, brilliant, Philly. Um, look, you've you've had so many highlights. Look, we've about seven or eight minutes left here, and you're fantastic. Um, you're a joy to listen to. Um, could I just move on and maybe maybe a small bit about life off the pitch what what do you work at now what's you mentioned at the start you took a couple of businesses I know I read up that you were you, you've done a bit of strength and conditioning for Shamrock Rovers Bohemians obviously we love a soccer you have a couple of gyms going you have other businesses going 
Yeah. Life must life must be good for you. Ah, life's great. You, like you know, you know when you look at what's going on around the world today, you know uh, how could you not be happy with and grateful for what you have? You know, so um, for me, uh, like daily, I'm working. I have my gym here. My offices are in the gym, and I have a new cafe called Wobble Cafe. Uh, um, that I recently opened with Adrian Martin as my partner um, this year. So that's going really well. He's a cavern man, by the way. So numbers <laughs> yeah. five from and, um, say no more, say no more. <laughs> well, yeah, I have, I have another business called NutriQuick. I'm a co-owner of that. There's four of us on that. That's a, a ready-made meal company. It's in Aldi's and Dons and Tesco's and uh, Spars everywhere. So that's that's going really well. Um, I'll just look to. To be honest, I'm just very fortunate to be able to do what I can. I have brilliant staff around me, uh, brilliant family around me. I work in Mount Joy as well. I have a program that I run in there for prisoners, and I'm looking to do a research project soon about uh, kind of more. Um, it's more of an intervention type research project for for kids that are kind of have, let's say, are, are going through a criminal drift, that are struggling, uh, going down a bad pathway. So I'm doing that as well. So yeah, look, I'm. I'm just really happy to be able to get the opportunity to have people around me to do all of these things. I'm really passionate about business, passionate about social inequalities in, in this country um, because of my background, because of my brother, because of my family and because yeah. of like, you know, so. Yeah, I was just going to briefly mention about that. I mean, I, I read about you losing your dad and the kind of the, the history and, you know, I think you you, you, you had a talk with Joe Bali and oh, you mentioned about your dad's being interned. Your dad was shot at, at 16. He was in town by 19. Then you had your, obviously, your brother dying. Um, and how, how did you cope with all that? You obviously had some inner, massive, massive inner strength. Did it make did, did, did it make you kind of give you some different outlook in life in terms of like great relationship with your dad and your mother? Your brother obviously had a big effect on you. Yeah, I mean, brother had a massive effect on me because, um, you know, I had three sisters and a brother and he was me he was seven years older than me and he was the, the guy that I'd if I got into a row anybody, he's the guy I'd threaten everybody with, you know. He was my yeah. big, <laughs> loving brother, kind hearted brother, uh, even in his depths of his addiction. Yeah. Re- really supports uh my sporting journey, pushed me further and further into sports, you know. So I was very lucky to have a brother, um, like Kim, like John and, you know, when John passed he kept supporting me in, in spiritually, you know, in, in, in terms of the work I do as a purpose and trying to help people that went the same pathway he did. That was the special gift he gave me, you know. And um he's now he's 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 spoken about more than probably he was when he was alive, you know. He's in, he's on the telly, he's on books, he's yeah. he's here he's on podcasts. So he gave me that purpose to go and, and get after things in life. Um and I suppose when my dad passed away, you know, you know, I suppose I I had two different aspects. John died very suddenly, and my dad passed away after a year of terminal cancer. You know, yeah, um, he was only sixty four. I think but he was he only sixty four. Was he? Yeah, yeah, he was young only sixty four. Young man, he was yeah, young young man, and, and probably younger than his age in terms of his you know physically he was you know very uh, very active and and you know incredible person, very kind, humorous type of individual. But also a staying hard man, like, you know, from West Belfast. And uh, lessons he gave me was, you know, John gave me a purpose, probably ignited the purpose, but my purpose was always there with my dad in terms of his journey. 
you know, fighting in the troubles and fighting for his community and his, the nationalist community of Lena doing West Belfast. And that's very aligned to what I'm, you know, dealing with, with, with the people of Ballymun that I'm trying to help uh, certain, certain elements of, of Ballymun that I think uh, can be supported along with other people that are doing brilliant stuff in the area. Yeah, so, I, 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 yeah. I just, just, just to touch on your charity work and your fundraisers, and you travel, you travel the length of the country, but you still have a special place with with Ballymun, and so you go back there on a regular basis. Is there more? Yeah. Is there more the government can be doing? Is there more us as a public can be doing? Do you think is is it not being done to help those type of people? Yeah, uh, well, Ballymun is still one of the most impoverished places in the country, you know, um, according to our census. And uh, there's obviously, recently it's been regenerated. Um, there's no flats or towers there anymore. Yeah, yeah. There's over a billion euros spent on the community. But culturally it's been, it gets, it's kind of affected. It's still, it still has never changed. It's still, it's still ghettoized in many ways. You know, it's, it's, it's still got a, certain issues in the in community but nonetheless it has brilliant people as brilliant activists that's if there was a leaderboard of having you know potentially the best or the most community activists you know Ballymun would be up there at the top you know so that we can thank our we, we can thank the people that have you know been those type of people for us over the years and, and that's passed down to the likes of me and others um, who are trying their best to do whatever they can so uh, Ballymun yeah it's 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 a saying we'll always we'll always we'll never forget where we come from. I suppose I I'm I actually where I grew up in the flats I only live is stone throw away from that. So I'm still near right, right beside the community, like you know. But if I were to say to me, how would you how would you change Ballymun after you know we've we've, we we the community was created in probably the 50s, 60s and still got issues? What would you do if you gave me the money now? I would instead of where the money is potentially being spent now, I'd build a shopping centre with a GEA ground in it and I'd create a financial incubator in the community and I'd raise the poverty line up and I'd make sure that everybody that would take the opportunity of working within the, the, the shopping centre and the stadium would have career paths and would, would, would basically get anybody out of the poverty trap that they're in. Yeah, incredible, Philly. Um, I'm just conscious of time. I, can, I just have a final question for you. Yeah. Um, and you've been brilliant. The future, coaching, or managing in the future. I I, I sense Paul Gilroy here, uh, Pat Gilroy. Sorry, I sense yeah. Jim Gavin here. <laughs> is 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 that in the mindset with you? Because you're clearly demonstrating to me that you're you want to watch out for the future in terms of coaching. Yeah, look, okay. I've been I'm, I'm very privileged that I've been asked to get involved um, with with county teams over the last two years. Um, one or two of them have been very interesting for me, but the difficulty I always I always have it in terms of reference to whether I go into coaching or management is is based on kind of two things: will that county team, you know, will it will will it compete with Dublin? And I just I just couldn't see myself being comfortable with that. Uh, there's one particular county that I was asked to get involved with this year, and and I you know I couldn't think anything worse than walking down to Crow Park and looking down the sideline and seeing uh, the Dublin lads and, and that's probably because I'm still probably really connected time-wise to the group that's there but um, 
I suppose that's the, the the first thing. The second thing then is is uh like I mean I've always said the only kind of county that would really really give me an interest would be Antrim because my dad's from Antrim. The difficulty now is that is you know they've you know first of all they've a really good manager in there now. He's done a great job with them, but it's not good timing for me to get involved with any county two year old son. You know, so I want to spend time with him for the first couple of years. But um, look who who knows I might get a different role with with the Dublin County Board and. In the meantime, and that might be something that that I could do that would tick the box of being passionate about getting into that world, but also being with my own county. You know, brilliant, Billy McMahon. Can I just say to you, what an insight! Um, what a slammer, what a character! I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving us the opportunity to game on some of the podcasts today. It's fascinating. If you're in Cork, if you come down to the River County, give me a shout and go for the Clinton Bowl. Well, I'll indeed. be around and I'll show you a few nice spots around here and maybe I might be able to go down here especially on the north side oh yeah yeah we go around <laughs> the north side yeah absolutely um, <laughs> my, my private place in, in, in my heart being on the city as well is the north side of Cop City similar to yourself so listen it's been yeah. fantastic thank you very much indeed thanks a lot thanks for having me on thank you